0: Brothers and sisters, we are living in turbulent times. You don't need me to recount it all for you because you've been in it. You've been living in it. We've been in this pandemic now for months. We haven't been back in our worship building uh, in a normal service since March. Uh, This is going on and continuing. And we have to ask, what do we do when the waves keep coming? What do we do when storms keep coming? rolling in? When everything in life gets turned upside down, what do we do? Well, when all these storms are coming, it's a good time to evaluate our foundation. It's a good time to evaluate the things that we have been anchoring ourselves to. So what are you doing to get through the storm? What's keeping you together right now? You know, I began this series, Anchoring Truth for Turbulent Times, because I felt like we need to be anchored to the truth of God's promises to get us through the ongoing waves and this this anchoring idea it's a metaphor obviously that comes from the uh, the world of uh, boating sailing on the ocean uh, and for some reason I think probably because it comes uh, comes up in the Bible often or in hymns that Christians like to sing uh, we often use this metaphor uh, but I don't know I, I don't know about you but I don't really know a lot about boating or sailing. I know some of you do. Uh, But personally, I I don't anchor a boat very often. So I had to do a little bit of research. What does it mean to anchor a boat? How do you do it well? In fact, uh, I came across an article called Eight Steps to Anchoring Your Boat, uh, about anchoring a sailboat. I assume this applies for boating in general. But the first step that you have to do when you're anchoring a boat uh, is to anchor it in the right spot. You have to find where to anchor it. So what, what a sailor would do is you would analyze, where is the wind blowing me? Is it going to blow me towards those rocks over there? Or is it going to blow me near other boats? You would want to pick a spot where the wind is not going to blow you uh, into something that can uh, harm you. So after you find the right spot, you pick the right spot, then you set your anchor. But then you, the second thing you need to do is to make sure that your anchor is set right. In fact, the article even encouraged diving down, going to look at, at the anchor to make sure that it's not embedded in grass, because if it, uh, that can dig up some mud and can unsettle your anchor. So you want to make sure that the anchor is well embedded in the ground. And there are many other steps uh, to the anchoring process. We only talked about two. But essentially, you want to make sure that your boat is in the right spot, that it's set in a solid place, and that it's well embedded where you've anchored it. And the intention of this sermon series is to make sure that we are well anchored. And as your pastor, I want to help you be anchored to Christ and to the church in these difficult days. And so I want to ask, are we anchoring our lives in the right spot? Is our anchor on the solid part of the ground, and is it well embedded in? We we need to check and make sure. Uh, And last week, Gene Frost started our series by preaching uh, on anchoring our bodies, both of them, and how we can be strong through the storm, through that. And I want to continue the point about anchoring to the body of Christ. How does a church, how does a Christian community, stay anchored through the storm? So we're going to be looking at Romans 12, verses 9 through 13, and we're going to look at seven anchors for a Christian community. And in this passage, Paul pi- is piling out a bunch of exhortations, a bunch of commands. In fact, there's 13 of them in this passage, in, this, in just this, this chunk of verses. Uh, and we're narrowing it down to seven, uh, combining a couple. Um, but all of these are made possible because of the grace, the redemption, the adoption, and the freedom that we have through Christ. And these exhortations, these anchor points, they're going to help us stay anchored together, as a Christian community, through the storms that the world sends us. So the first anchor point that I want to talk to you about is anchor number one, sincere love. We need sincere love in the body of Christ. Verse 9, Paul says love must be sincere. Love, true love, is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to have. For one another. And this word sincere, it comes uh, literally in the Greek. It means without hypocrisy. Uh, And scholar Doug Doug Moo says this is the idea of not playing the part of an actor on the stage. In other words, you can do a lot of things outwardly, a lot of activity, but not really love people. We are all capable of faking it. We are all capable of putting it on and just going through the motions. And we're really good at just speaking it. Oh yeah, I love my church. Do you? Do we? How is our anchor? You know, when we talk about love in our culture, it can be so confusing. It's hard to know what, real, what people really mean. You can say, you know, I love my wife and I love pizza. Are you really talking about the same thing? Doesn't seem like it. You see, love, love in our culture, it's, it's mainly sentimental based. It's about feelings. In fact, if you look up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary about love, the first entry is primarily about uh, affection and attraction. This feeling inside of us that we are drawn towards another person. And that's typically what, we, uh, what people mean in our cult- culture when they say the word love. But how should a Christian define this all-important term, love? It may be one of the most important terms in the entire Bible. So to define love, we should not look to the culture around us, but we learn what love is by looking at how God loves his people. So how does God love? Well, Scott McKnight uh, boils it down to four qualities of God's love. And he talks about how God loves us through rugged commitment. When you look at the Bible, isn't it unique that God is all the time entering into covenant relationships with his people? He's making covenants. He's making promises. And so that covenant is a rugged commitment to this people. And the second way that God shows his love is by his presence. You know, in the Old Testament, he's leading the, the people in the cloud by day and the fire by night. Jesus comes to us and he's proclaimed as Emmanuel, God with us. And in the New Testament age, the Holy Spirit has been sent to dwell in our hearts so that God can be present. The third way that God shows his love is through advocacy. This is the idea that God is is for us. He is in our corner. He is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the fourth way that God shows his love is through transformation. That God loves us so much that he wants to see us transformed and renewed into the image of his son. So McKnight sums this up. I think I have a definition here. In summary, God's love is a rugged commitment to be with us and for us so that we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's God's love. That's different than what the world talks about, right? So, if this is how God's love, God, or th- if this is how God loves us, this is then how we should love one another. To have a rugged commitment— to be with other people, to be for other people, so that we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So I just want to do a gut check this morning. Is your love for your brothers and sisters a rugged commitment or a matter of convenience? Is your love a commitment to be present with others, period? Or do we choose to disengage because of our preference in style or music? Or politics? Are you willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of others? Is your love a commitment to be for other people and their growth in Christ-likeness? Or is it just simply for fun? You see, all four of these qualities must be present for love to be sincere and godly. So it's a rugged commitment to be with others, to be in their lives, to be for them, to be in their corner, and to encourage them in their growth to be like Jesus Christ. That's how we sincerely love and are anchored in love as the body of Christ. The second anchor that we need is spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. Paul says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And don't you think it's interesting that right after Paul says, let love be sincere, the very next thing he says is, hate what is evil. I mean, I think it would, I, I would imagine that Paul would have said, you know, let love be sincere, have, have affection, and be kind and gentle and warm to everybody. That's what you would expect, right? But Paul says, let love be sincere, hate what is evil. You see, God is so ruggedly committed to us, that means that he hates evil. You see, an artist hates anything that would mar their artwork. A coach hates anything that disrupts the team. A parent hates anything that harms their child. You see, lack of hatred towards the right things is the sign that there is a problem. It's a sign that we are not feeling as we ought. So love, it's not this pure sentiment. It's not this just pure feeling. You know, know, we often, we want to show people love By pleasing them. By pleasing them. But if our love does not lead to hating evil like God does, then something is wrong. And we will be swayed by the waves of public and personal opinion. You know, it's been said that our one security against sin lies in our being shocked by it. We need to be able to be shocked by sin. That's why Paul says, hate what is evil. And this is a strong word in the Greek. It means to detest it, to abhor it, to hate it with with a violence. But not to be violent, but to hate it strongly. And then Paul says to cling to what is good. Like a glue, to be bonded in unity that you are clinging with your dear life for what is good and true. So how do we make sure that we have this spiritual discernment of hating what is evil, clinging to what is good? Well Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4 verses 14 through 15. He says, "Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ." Do you notice this for a second? These are This first verse, this is about a a body of people who are not anchored. They're blown away by every kind of wind of teaching that comes along. And if we're not anchored to the truth, this is what happens. So, you know, people in this world will say and teach all kinds of things. It is a tumultuous time in our lives and in the world today. It's a time where Christians are being tested by the waves of the world, by all the waves and winds of teaching that are, being out, that are being spoken of in the world today. And lots of things are being said and taught that are absolutely unbiblical. Whether it's about politics, or money, or sexuality, or marriage, or material possessions and prosperity— or social justice, or greed, or whether Jesus is the only way to God, or about the Bible and its trustworthiness. There are a lot of things being said out there, so much. All kinds of waves that could be tossing you around. And oh friend, if your anchor is not set in the Word of God and the teaching of His church, you will be blown around. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that for you. So we need to be anchored. If you're not anchored, you will be blown around by every podcast, by every new blog or article that comes up on the internet, or by every new pastor or teacher that's coming along and teaching something new or interesting. Don't be blown away by that. Be anchored. So we need the spiritual discernment. And how we get that, Paul says, is by speaking the truth in love to one another. So let's check our anchor. Are we willing to speak the truth even when it's difficult or unpopular? Are we so committed to each other's transformation that when we see sin or doctrinal error, we will say something? Because we are committed to each other growing as disciples of Jesus. And if we truly love each other like God loves us, then we will have the courage to do it in a loving way. John Stott summarizes this idea by saying, "'Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft.' if it is not strengthened by truth. We need truth and love together. The third anchor that we need is similar to the first, but it's loving devotion to one another. Loving devotion to one another. Paul says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Let me just read a couple other translations for you. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Love one another with mutual affection. Love each other Like members of your own family. That's the love to which we are called. And there's a a great story, it's a tradition about John, the Apostle of Jesus. And he was on one of his missionary journeys going to revisit one of the churches uh, that he had helped establish. And needless to say, this church was very excited. Uh, It's the Apostle John, after all. He knows Jesus, he walked with Jesus, he was with Jesus, he was a witness to the resurrection. And he was a powerful theologian and teacher and writer. I mean, imagine if the Apostle John himself was scheduled to speak at Faith Covenant Church on the live stream this morning. I mean, that would be amazing. You would probably expect something spectacular. And so these Christians, they were eagerly awaiting what the Apostle John was going to say. So when the time came for him to speak, John rose and he silently looked about him. And then he spoke. He said, little children... Love one another. Then he sat down. The church was confused, and then they were a little miffed. They had waited so long, and with such anticipation for this? Love one another? I mean, this is like kid kids stuff. They've heard this a million times. And they expected more from this great apostle. And finally, one of the people in the church, they dared to speak up, and, and they said, Brother, Brother John, You know, might you not be able to offer something a little bit, a little bit something more, a little little bit deeper? My children, John is said to have replied, the command of the Lord is that we love one another. It's all I have to offer. It doesn't get any deeper than that. You see, we we may want something more profound than love each other deeply. We may want something more theological or more interesting But it doesn't get deeper than the call to love each other as members of our own family. We need the anchor to be well embedded there. And the command this command and this practice, it's never outdated. You know, and I I believe it is something that our church, Faith Covenant Church, I believe it is something that we do well and need to continue to do well. A commitment to friendship, a commitment to care in life's toughest moments a commitment to be with each other and for each other. And there may be times, especially in these days, where we don't see eye to eye on some issues, but let's remind each other, hey, I love you. I'm for you. I am with you. We're on the same team. We're, on, we're going after the same goal. We are united in the same family, and my love for you cannot be shaken. That's the type of love that we need to, to anchor us through these difficult days. So we need loving devotion to one another. The fourth anchor that we need is a culture of honor. A culture of honor. The Apostle Paul says, honor one another above yourselves. The Christian standard says, take the lead in honoring each other. And the NRSV says, outdo one another in showing honor. And so there's a potential idea here of Paul's kind of making this a competition, outdo each other uh, in showing honor. What does it mean to show honor? Well, honor contains the ideas of respecting each other, recognizing each other, and appreciating each other. Respect, recognition, appreciation. That's how we honor. I mean, wouldn't it be be great if everyone respected you, recognized you, and appreciated all that you do for them? That would be amazing. That's a culture of honor. You know, in our world right now, I believe we are forming a culture of dishonor, of name-calling, of backbiting, of quick social media takes, of, of snap judgments upon people, gossip and slander and disrespect. I mean, how long do you think a church could last if there was a culture of dishonor? In fact, the Apostle Paul brought this up in Galatians 5, verse 15. He said, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, we must reject the culture of dishonor, but we need to make a culture of honor our delight. We need to take delight in giving others recognition and praise and appreciation. In fact, let's make it a competition. (laughs) Is the idea. Let's make it a competition of who can show the most honor to others. Who can be the first in showing honor and respect? And if we were constantly respecting, I respect you, I'm, I, I submit to you, I recognize who you, what you do, I appreciate all that you do, don't you think if people were speaking in such terms that that would knit together a church body? That really could build an anchor through the storm. I like what biblical scholar Grant Osborne says about this passage. He says, each of us should not be centering on our own personal status in the community, but instead should go out of our way in esteeming others. This is desperately needed in an age of personal achieve- achievement when most of us feel unappreciated. To go out of our way to affirm others is one of the most powerful ministries we can have. Friends, a culture of honor will anchor us through the storm. The fifth anchor Paul mentions is keep boiling in the Spirit as you serve. Keep boiling in the Spirit as you serve, the NIV translate this passion, Translates this passage in verse 11: Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that this in the Greek, this keep your spiritual fervor part. This can be translated: Be set on fire with the Holy Spirit. Be aglow. Be ablaze in the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the Greek, it, the word can mean uh, to boil. So it's a picture of a boiling pot of water. You know, what does it take to boil a pot of water? Constant heat, right? A constant source of heat. And so if you remove the heat, the water will stop boiling. So friends, we need to keep the heat, we need to keep the fire of the Holy Spirit on our lives so that we keep our fervor, we keep our passion for Jesus and serving others. You know, I I have to... Uh, admit, or I have to recognize, I should say, that during this pandemic, it's probably been very difficult to keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, this is a time where we, we are isolated. We are disconnected. And in many ways, it's so, been so nice to be outside for those who've been able to join. But I, I imagine it's been hard with all that's going on to keep your spiritual fervor. But friends, I say to you this morning, return To the source of heat. Return to the source of heat. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and laden, and I will give you rest. We need time under the heat and influence of the Holy Spirit so that we don't lose our first love. Our souls need time with Jesus, time in corporate worship, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, time in God's Word. We know we need these things. And we, and so Paul commands us, keep your fervor, stay boiling for Christ, keep your life on the heat of the Spirit. And really this is both a challenge for us and it's a gift. It's a challenge because it's intense. It's just, it's, we are commanded to not grow lukewarm, to not let apathy set in. We are to always maintain our love, our passion, our zeal, our commitment to God and His kingdom. That's a high call, but that's what we are called to. But friends, don't lose the fact that it's also a gift to you. So Eugene Peterson, in his translation uh, on this verse, he says, Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the Master. Brothers and sisters, if you don't keep a regular presence of the heat of the Spirit, if you will, of God's love and His influence and His Spirit ministering to you, you will burn out spiritually emotionally, relationally. And so being on fire in the Spirit, keeping this passion up, that's what we were made for. It's what we were created for. It's how you were made. So do whatever, whatever it takes for you to stay passionate about Jesus, to keep that spiritual fervor. Do that and as, as you serve the Lord. And just do a temperature check right now. How's your passion? How's your passion for Jesus? Does it need some more heat to the Spirit? And if so, ask the Lord what you might be able to do to keep your spiritual fervor going. The sixth anchor that we need is hopeful and prayerful endurance. Hopeful and prayerful endurance. Verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I like how the common English Bible puts it, Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble. And devote yourselves to prayer. See, let me break this down. We are we are to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That we have been saved, that we are being saved and transformed, and that we will be saved. We do have a great inheritance, the hope of eternal life in a renewed creation with Jesus forever. And that gives us great hope, so we ought to rejoice in that. And when we do that, that helps us to be patient in affliction. And Now, I'm not too keen on the word patient here. It can also be translated to endure, uh, to have endurance in affliction, or to stand your ground when the trials come. James, the brother of Jesus, he calls these things the trials that test our faith. They produce perseverance in us. And so we endure through it. And the way to get through it, the way to get through these times of testing, these waves that come upon us, is to stay connected to God through prayer. So suffering, it tends to either drive you further away from God or to drive you closer to Him. And if we are faithful to pray, if we are devoted to prayer, then even in the difficult times, even if we can only pray a lament, We can just cast that rope out onto the rock of ages and hang on for dear life. But it's that prayer that keeps us connected. And as we pray, we thereby are reminded of the great hope that we have, that there is a life beyond this one, and that we all shall be redeemed, and that all shall be made well one day. That's our hope. So these three are linked together. Hope, endurance, and suffering— and prayer. And if you keep those linked together when the turbulent times come, you will be anchored to God. And friends, finally we reach number seven. Number seven, we stay anchored by meeting practical needs and pursuing hospitality. We meet practical needs and pursue hospitality. Verse 13, Paul uh, uh, concludes this little short passage here by saying, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And that's true. If, I mean, if we truly, sincerely love each other, if we are devoted to each other like members of our family, we will make sure that all practical needs are getting met. And we will pursue, and we will regularly practice hospitality. You know, this is a weird time right now. It may, it may not be safe, or you may not feel comfortable practicing literal hospitality, inviting people into your home. But what if we could practice creative hospitality? Could we be hospitable online? Is that possible? You know, I've admired the work of Rita Christensen, our, our prayer and care team leader, as she's held Lady Zoom events, especially throughout the summer, um, and provided a hospitable environment to connect people in relationship. Uh, the same is true for uh, John Reimers and Terry Huttenlock, who've been our Zoom lobby leaders the past few weeks. Um, even if it's only been for a handful of people, they, they have said, no, it's important to provide a space for anybody that wants to connect digitally. We're going to be there and show up so that people have a space to connect. So we thank uh, them for that. We thank Rita for that. We honor you for that, because you are being creative in your hospitality. And that's wonderful. And and we have to ask, well, what else can we do? Can Can we continue this creativity as we go through this time, so that we stay present to each other and not resign ourselves to being isolated from each other. It'd be easy to just, to just give up, because it takes more effort. But let's pursue creative hospitality. And because we love each other so sincerely, we will meet needs. We will open up our wallets with generosity. We will open up our lives, our time, to be with each other, to care for each other. And when safe, we will open up our homes to share what we have and to share our lives. William Barclay has a beautiful statement, and he says, Christianity is the religion of the open hand, the open heart, and the open door. Let's pursue that. So let let me recap. How can a Christian community, how can a church stay anchored through the turbulent times? We need sincere love. We need spiritual discernment, loving devotion to one another, a culture of honor, of keeping boiling in the Spirit— as we serve. We need hopeful and prayerful endurance, and we need to meet practical needs and pursue hospitality. Friends, when we do these things, it will anchor us. I mean, what if this described our church over the next, just say, six months? What could could that do? We would come out stronger. We would come out more unified, more in love with Christ, more appreciated, more grateful, more passionate, more prayerful, more connected, and needs would all be met. That would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? We are in turbulent times, friends, and I implore you this morning to inspect your anchor. Are you anchored in the right spot? Is it well embedded in? Which of these things need your attention? And and I encourage you just to ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, is, are there one of these things? Are there, are there things here that I need to pay attention to? Where do I need to anchor more deeply? And I've asked the worship team to prepare a special song this morning called Anchor. Uh, and as that song is playing, you're, feel free to worship along as you catch on to the tune. But also take some time to ask the Holy Spirit, how can I anchor my life deeper into these truths and promises so that I can weather this storm? And as we get through it, friends, may God anchor us deeper in Christ, deeper with one another, and may he sustain us through these turbulent days. Let's go to the band.